to uh, marriage or, or uh, what somebody call it, dating relationships or things like that. But in relationships between men and women, love relationships is one of the things we think about jealousy the most. Now, maybe you have seen this happen. Maybe you've been there. Let's just think about a child. Let's not even go into marriage. Let's just think about a child. A child, they get a little bit older and uh, they, they get into maybe a say up into junior high or high school, they get a friend and they get some friends, but they have this one friend. They tend to spend like every waking moment with that individual, which means they spend less time at home, obviously. And in, in all of a sudden you see this pattern in this child. All they're doing is they're talking about the parents of their friend. I mean, they're cool. Their parents are cool cats. You know, they are understanding, they are fun, they sit down and talk with us like we're adults, you know, we get to spend adult time and we feel really like we're really something, right? They allow all sorts of freedom when you get to go to that house and man, you just, you just feel pretty good. And the child begins to become a little distant with you. It becomes again, they begin a little, a little bit argumentative with you over the rules that have always been there, but all of a sudden for some reason, you know, they got to start arguing with you about all of it. And, and if, and if you watch as a parent, you might get a little jealous. Jealous over that other parent that is so cool, right? Yeah, it could be for two reasons, right? It could be for a bad jealousy that your child is just like possession to you. And it's like, no, it's mine. It happens in marriages too. Uh, he doesn't really love her. It's just a possession that he doesn't want anybody else to have, right? It's a bad jealousy. But it could be a good jealousy. Now, bad jealousy is rooted in selfishness and control. But a good jealousy, what Paul's going to call here a godly jealousy, is rooted in a parent who's concerned with the influence of, that these other parents have. Right? It's a jealousy rooted in love. It's a jealousy rooted in protection because as a, as a parent and God gives wisdom and, and the red flags are going off and you're realizing this isn't good for our child, right? They're manipulating, they're using, they're doing all, I mean, you can see all these things and, and you start to, what some may say, oh, you're getting jealous. No, wait, no, that, that's a godly jealousy, okay? I knew there was a, uh, a, a teenager I knew he was hired by a man, and that guy was really one of those cool parents. He was really cool. And this, this, this teenager, he was given a lot of responsibility. He was given a, a good job over this summer. They, they trusted uh, this young man with a lot of uh, expensive equipment, and it was his responsibility to, to drive it all over Tarnation and do the jobs they were doing. Put a lot of hours in. That's great. I think kids should put a lot of, lot of hours in over the summer and just work to death. I think that's good for him. And, uh, and uh, they're, they're putting a lot of hours. And, and it, I, I know the, the parents weren't really excited about hearing about this individual all the time. Oh, he was this and he's that. And he's great. Oh, yeah. And he does this and he does that and he does this. And something, something you know, how parents, something starts going, mm, right? That's what happens. Yeah. Here's what eventually became evident. This is where these parents were getting a little irritated. That man, the cool guy, was kind of really taking advantage of them. Right? He's really taking advantage of them. Come to find out, uh, 
he would tell these people, well, you come to my house and get all of the equipment and then drive it to Springfield, which was 45 minutes away, and then clock on. First of all, that's illegal. Right. But the, you know, this was just a cool guy, you know. Yeah. 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 No, it, what happens? The, 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 what, some may say, oh, that's jealousy. You're just, that, the parents just getting jealous. They're just getting jealous. No, maybe there's red flags and it's a godly jealousy because they're wanting to protect their child from some yahoo who's just taking advantage of them. Yeah. This is where we find ourselves in chapter 11. Paul is jealous. Look at this. Verse 1. Would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. Now this is interesting because really when Paul is saying this here, uh, bear with me a, a little bit means to endure here with me. Stay tuned. He's going to kind of open something up. He wants them to stay tuned and listen uh, to what he's going to say. And really this whole chapter, there's a lot here. We're not going to get it tonight. But we would, if we had two hours I would put the whole chapter in one message because this is what Paul's telling them to do. Stay tuned because it's all going to come together. But he doesn't really want to bring this up. This is one of these last things that he really wants to do. He says, would to God you would bear with me a little in my folly. What he says, this is a little bit of foolishness. This is kind of senseless The where I'm going to try to get your attention. I'm pulling up a certain, I'm pulling a card, you know, in, in, the, in the political realm when they're uh, running for office. And, and uh, uh, you've, I've heard this term used back all the way back to when Bill Clinton was running and all of these things. And he said, oh, they pulled the race card on me. That means they, they, they went kind of low and pulled something that you're not really supposed to fight, right? And, and, and this is really, Paul's like, hey, uh, kind of bear with me, would you hear? This is not somewhere I really want to go, but I have a reason in going this. I know it may sound silly, he's saying, but wait, please, wait till the end. Would to God you would bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed, bear with me. Just stay tuned, he says. Look at verse 2. Paul is jealous. For I am jealous over you. Right? I'm jealous over you. That word jealous, the root word of jealous is the word zeal. Zeal means, so jealous means to burn with zeal. He says, I'm, I'm jealous over you. Webster's 1828, the first word in the definition from Webster's of the word jealous is this, suspicious. And that, isn't that what happens? You go, hmm. Why are they becoming friends? That's interesting. Apprehensive, apprehensive of rivalship. Apprehensive of this new rivalry that's going on. Uneasy through fear that another hath, has withdrawn or may withdraw from, uh, from one the affections of a person he loves, enjoys some good which he desires to obtain. He, gets, begins, he begins to have a little bit of fear and concern that the affection that used to be there has gone away, and now that affection that used to be between us is now between him and them, or her and her. It's like, oh, this is weird. What's going on here? Suspicious, jealous. Paul says, I'm jealous, for I am jealous over you. But look what he says here, with a godly jealousy. What would that mean? 
It is a jealousy rooted in love. It is jealousy not for for Paul's all for Paul's uh, um, um, benefit, but he's thinking more of God's benefit of a relationship here. So he says, "For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy." Now you know how I love punctuation, and you'll see that colon right there after the word jealousy. It means what's after that colon is what? It's going to explain what's before it. So what is Paul talking about? For I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Well, define that, Paul. What do you mean? Well, I've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He said, I'm jealous over you. What, is that? what, what do you mean? What, what does that jealousy look like? Well, I've espoused you to one husband. Now, this is a good place to remind ourselves what the espousal process was. Many of, I think many of us know this and, and are, are aware of this, this uh, Hebrew process, the, the, this, this espousal period. But you know what would happen? Uh, you can see it in Abraham with, with Isaac and Rebekah. You can see it with Mary and Joseph, that Mary was espoused to Joseph. And we, we understand what that is. The, the, the family, right? Of, of a man may come to the family of a girl and say, we want our son to marry your daughter. He wants to marry your daughter, right? And uh, they will bring a dowry. They'll bring something in as a, as a payment for that daughter. And uh, she, many times she would have a choice. Rebecca had a choice. They said, do you want to go with them? And she said, okay, I'll go, right? And she went, and so she had a choice, and the dowry was given, but at that point now they were they were espoused. Okay, they were legally they were uh, quote married legally. Mary and Joseph were called husband and wife before they'd come together. They were legally married. They were under a contract for marriage, right? And uh, but they just hadn't come together for the ceremony for the vows and then the consummation. So they were under contract. Now, in this betrothal period, uh, that contract could be breached. That, that girl, that, that young lady or whoever could breach the contract by getting to, into a relationship with somebody else. Now, at times we know as some of the, you see through the word of God, that uh, uh, there's times when it couldn't be known. It wasn't known until, until they were finally married in the consummation. It's like, wait a minute, uh, you've been with somebody else, right? And there's, there's, you know, things implied there and things that happen there. And uh, she would be brought uh, to the elders and brought to her father. She brought shame upon her. If it was true, they would say, you brought shame upon your family and shame upon your father. That man would write a bill of divorcement. She would be divorced from him. And then they would stone her to death. This betrothal was very serious. It was a very serious contract. It wasn't like our engagement, all right? It wasn't like, oh, well, oh, hum. Right over, you know, it was very, very, very serious. And so they, they would get through the betrothal period. And during this time, remember John 14, Jesus said, I go away to prepare a place for you. You know, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go away to prepare a place for you. That, and if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. What was he doing? He was drawing off of the betrothal period that they knew very well about. And what happened was uh, a, a man and a woman, a girl and a boy, were, were, were uh, betrothed, contractually obligated to get married. That man would go away. He would establish a home. He would be gone for up to a year at times, establishing a home, building a home. 
and the girl would be waiting at home for him to return for her. It was never announced. It, they, 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 they actually, in some cases I've read, they would have somebody that, that essentially a, uh, a, a helper of the, of the bride beside her father, another helper that would, that would uh, transport messages back and forth. They wouldn't look at each other. Oh, you know where this goes. They wouldn't talk to each other face to face, but there was, there was an intermediary between them going back and forth. And uh, Jesus drew off all of this. And, and, but at a given time, when the bridegroom was ready, he would come home. He would come to her house with all of his, his helpers, they would knock on the door and say, and a lot of times they said it would be at midnight. It was part of the thing. And they would knock on the door and say, behold, your bridegroom cometh, you know, come out to your bridegroom. And I mean, she had to be ready and all of her maids had to be ready. And there's, oh, Jesus uses us all over the word of God about the second coming when he is coming back and at a time when we know not and how he's going to call out for his bride to be taken up with him. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And, uh, and she would have to go with him and she would go off and they'd have the ceremonies and they'd read their vows and off they would go. And they are now finally, fully, completely married. It would be followed by a marriage supper, which would last anywhere from three to seven days. The last, last day of the seventh would be the, the most spectacular, most elaborate part of that marriage supper. And they said the marriage supper was the bringing home of an already accredited bride to her covenanted husband to which guests were invited. And we see this beautiful picture of when Jesus is going to come for his saints and his bride is going to be among them, his church. And there's going to be a lot of guests, friends of the bridegroom, friends of the bride and friends of the bridegroom that are going to be there, saints that... We'll go, we could go on that another day. We'll, we'll look on that sometime else because that'll develop and we'll be here all night. But, uh, but she was called home and this was the betrothal period. The point was marriage. The point was they're legally bound. They're legally tied by covenant. We, do you realize we're in a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? It was a blood oath. It was a blood covenant. He shed the blood and it was a blood to our account. And we're under covenant with him. We are, we are awaiting his return someday. And, uh, and uh, we're in the betrothal period. This is where we're living right now. We're living in a betrothal period. And uh, he's going to come for us one of these days. But in the interim, this is what I'm trying to, I forgot about. I gotta get, I'm trying to get to it. I'm sorry. In the interim, there was somebody, her father which would take care over the daughter who was betrothed. He would protect her and he would provide for her, but he was protecting her. So when the wedding day came, there was no shame to the family and shame to, to God that he would present his daughter a chaste, pure virgin to her husband. This was the role of the father to present her this way. And uh, he took it very seriously very seriously. Look at what Paul says. I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. I'm suspicious. I'm alert. I'm watching. I'm concerned. Why? That your heart might be going somewhere else. I'm concerned that your affections may be drifting from God and going somewhere else. 
He said, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Why? For I have espoused you to one husband. Who is that? The Lord Jesus Christ. That I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. You see what the Apostle Paul has done here. This is a godly jealousy because he has taken upon him the responsibility, which was responsibly, I should say, was given to him by God. He just didn't take it. His authority was from the Lord Jesus Christ. He planted this church. He probably led, led several of these people to the Lord before he went on to another field. And now there's more there now. But he, he deemed as an apostle, as a sent one, as the one who started this church, he deemed himself as the father, the father who was watching over this bride. So when the bridegroom came, he would present it to the bridegroom, a chaste, pure, virgin church. You see that? He's concerned about him. I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. This is a godly jealousy. Yeah. He even says so in the text. You don't have to believe me. Just read it. It's right there. Godly jealousy. Yeah. Did I tell you Paul's concern is really valid? It's valid. Why? Because it is possible for us to come into a place of spiritual adultery. James 4.4 4. What does the Bible say? Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And whosoever therefore shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you, really, do you realize what God has reduced and defined worldliness as? Spiritual adultery. I mean, we kind of laugh at it now. I mean, because it's been preached for so long, we kind of... We think it's just no big deal at time. And, oh, here we go. Always talking about worldliness, worldliness, worldliness. Well, it's a pretty big deal in a betrothal period for God to call you an adulterer or an adulteress. This isn't anything to laugh about. It's a serious thing, this worldliness. And so it, what, what, what am I saying? It's possible for us as children, as children of God, not only that, but as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's possible for us to come to a place of spiritual impurity. You look, look what Paul says. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. We know this. He's going back and reestablishing this, that Satan was able to deceive Eve. Right. I mean, think about it. Just take some time just to process that. Adam was told directly from God, eat anything you want, just not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So Eve was told directly from Adam. Right? He said, don't, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve didn't have a sin nature yet. They were still perfect. Perfect. Yet Satan was still subtle enough to deceive Eve. Yeah. Which means what? We, in a sin, in a, with, our, with our sin nature, us, with our fallen flesh that we still have, our minds are able to be corrupted just as well as Eve's was. We are not beyond deception. 
We are not. We we have a we with this fallen nature. It is possible for believers to be deceived. Matthew twenty four twenty four. For there shall arise false Christ, speaking of the end times, and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Wow. If it were possible, why is it not possible? Well, I contend that the very elect won't be here at this time. <laughs> we'll be caught away. Luke 21, 8, And he said, Take heed that you be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. He's talking to believers here. What is he saying? You could be deceived. I can be deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13 But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Anybody ever been deceived by somebody? It's miserable, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's one thing if it's just, you know, whatever. But you ever been deceived by somebody that you're, you're in a, a deep love relationship with? Maybe not even, maybe, maybe not even, it wasn't even purposeful. I, don't, well, I guess most deception is purposeful. Yeah. It hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. I wonder if we have forgotten that God has emotions. When the Bible says that grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, the word grieve there, that means, that it means not to break his heart. God has emotions. I mean, God loves. When we love something, do you think God has, has a, like, a, is, is lacking the, the emotion and the empathy that we have when we love? No, of course not. Yeah. He says it's possible for us to be deceived. It's possible for us to fall into deception. But I fear lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety... So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So here's where we have to be careful of. Right? Our goal is, Paul's goal for, for this church here is that he presented a chaste virgin unto Christ, that it would be spiritually pure. And one of the things that they have to watch out for is the corruption of mind of what? Look at this. The simplicity that is in Christ. Can I tell you the gospel is simple? Not simplistic. Simplistic just means that it's, it's, it's something that, over, that is oversimplified and it fails to deal with the complexity of a situation. That's simplistic. No, it's not simplistic. You will never plumb to the depths of the gospel. But it's simple. It is so simple. Yeah. What is the good news? Well, man sinned. It separated him from his creator. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Darkness and light cannot, cannot dwell together. And this is the, the simplicity of the gospel that man has sinned and it's separated from, the, from God and there's no way to put God and man back together again. But God came up with a plan before the foundation of the world because he knew if I give this creation created after my likeness and image, if I instill within them the free will, I know what's going to happen. And I'm going to make, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of that before it ever comes. Yeah. 
So what was his plan? He put on human flesh. He offered himself a sacrifice. He required blood. We looked at this a few weeks ago. He required blood and he gave his own blood to pay, to, to, to atone for all of the sin of mankind. And so here's, here's the simplicity of it all. You know what? Sin can be removed. Here, here's, the, here's the simplicity of it. Man sinned, separated from God, but the only, and, and because of sin, and the only way to get back to God is that this sin in between us gets removed. And how does it get removed? The blood of Jesus. Well, how do you get the blood of Jesus on it? Uh, believe Him. Believe God. What did Paul say? I know who I have believed and persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Right? I can't say this enough. He didn't say, I know in whom I have believed. He said, I know whom I have believed. He said, I believe Jesus. And you know what happens when you believe Jesus? You'll do what he says. Yeah, what does he say? You must be born again, huh? Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. What do we do? Well, you just believe God. You repent. You confess that you're wrong and he's right. And you ask for the gift. So simple. Yeah. But it's possible for us to be deceived from that simplicity. And this is what false teachers do. They, listen, they complicate Jesus Christ. They complicate the gospel. Oh, did you pray to Jesus or the Father? Did you pray? To, well, I mean, what was, what, you know, did you ask uh, Jesus, or I'm like, uh, I, I went to God. I don't know if I approached Jesus. Was I supposed to say Jesus? Oh, no. <laughs> I said it last Sunday. Do you think the Godhead's really up there going, uh-oh, this one's yours. I don't know. No, nope, this one's for you, not for me. <laughs> Come on. So they complicate the gospel. You know what all I know? I, I, I love this when the blind man, uh, remember Jesus healed the blind man? And they said, what, what, what happened? He goes, I don't know, man. I don't know. All I know is I was blind yesterday and now I see. And I say that too. Some days, I don't know. All I know is I approached God and he, he came in and cleansed me of my sin. And I don't know, I'm saved and I can see now. I, it's, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's not that hard. You know, I don't need to explain all of it because God is the one who does all the saving, not me. Amen. I just have to believe it and, and ask for it and receive it. And he does everything else. I don't need to know how it happens. I know who I believe. Or, you know that? Oh, beautiful hymn. I know not how the spirit moves convincing men of sin. I, I don't know how it happens. All I know is it's true. Amen. And when I went to him and confessed and asked, everything went away. Eyes were open. Yeah. Praise the Lord. False teachers destroy that simplicity. That's right. Oh, see, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And dead is dead, which dead means you can't respond to God, which means God has to open your eyes, regeneration, before so you can respond to him, which he has already preordained that you do it anyways, but he's chosen the means also. And so he's made you believe the means that, what? I get confused. No, this, this is, that, that is the destruction of the simplicity of Jesus Christ. This is the problem of Calvinism. All five points. It destroys the simplicity of Jesus Christ. 
That's what false teachers do. Look what he says here in verse, uh, verse 4. He's jealous over them with a godly jealousy. He, has a, he wants to present this church as a chaste virgin unto Jesus Christ, but he has a suspicion. He's jealous. He has a fear. He has a concern that, that, that as the serpent beguiled Eve through his uh, subtlety, that they might be deceived as well and carried off. Look what he says in verse 4. For he, if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus... And oh, there's a lot of Jesuses out there that are being preached. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. How do you know the Jesus uh, of the Bible? Well, read the Bible. If somebody says, yeah, I know Derek Eccles. Oh, yeah, really? What's he look like? 6'3", black. It's different Derek Eccles. I'd like to meet him. (laughs) I don't know how he got that name because I thought I was the one with that weird name. Only one. No, seriously. People say, oh, well, it's, well, I'm preaching Jesus Christ. Well, wh- who, what Jesus are you preaching? Well, he was the son of God. Was he God? Well, no, he's not God, but he's the son of God. Well, that's another Jesus. Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm going to finish. I'm telling you. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached... Preached, let me get that out. Or if you receive another spirit which you have not received... Try the spirits... See whether they be of God, amen. Not every spirit is of God that's saying, do this and go here and say this and say that. and do. I knew a guy, oh, he told me about how he got full of the Holy Ghost. And he said, I was sitting in church in my dead church and, and whatever, you know, mainline denomination he was from. And I'm sitting there and the Holy Spirit began to tell me to get up and just dance. And I thought, no, Lord, I can't do this. He's telling me all about the, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he goes, I just obeyed the Spirit of God. And I got up and I began to dance across the front of that place. And, and I finally opened my eyes and had the whole church. And boy, God just showed up. Friend, that's another spirit. That's another spirit. Try the spirits. Receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted. Ye might well bear with him. Do you see what he's saying? You're likely to follow him. (laughs) Yeah. Why, Why was Paul justified in saying this? Do we remember 1 Corinthians? Yeah. That was kind of a problem church, wasn't it? I am of Paul and I am of Apollos. Oh, the contentions, the divisions, the, the weird fornication going on that was being allowed in the church and just going on the messed up Lord's Supper. They were messed up on the gifts. They were, they were just all over the place. Paul says, I know this. I'm a little concerned where your affections are because you'll follow them. There are people in this church, I could say, you'll follow it. Not here tonight, but we'll pick on the ones that aren't here. No, there's some, I I know, they'll they'll follow every wind of doctrine. Just over here, over here, over here. We've had them all over the place. Paul's jealousy was godly, watch this, because his number one goal was that this Corinthian church would make it to the altar spiritually pure. He wanted them right. He was warning them. Even though he wasn't the cool parent. right? Even though he's not the super apostle. He's not one of the twelve. Some will argue with that one, but uh, that's something you can think about on your own. Even though his authority was in question all the time. 
He didn't care. His concern was for this church, a church that he started, that would make it to the altar spiritually pure. And we're going to see later that this is the reason he's going to pull his credentials. I don't have time to get into it, but this is the folly. This is the reason why he wants them to bear with his folly, because this is the problem that's going on that he's seen, is that he's concerned with the direction of this church and where it could end up if, they don't, if they're not careful. He doesn't want to go down this road. You know, no, nobody in authority really wants to pull. If they're, if, they're, if they're good, they don't really want to pull the authority card. Yeah. I mean, if, if they're just controlling dictators, they love the, they, they love the authority card, right? But, but somebody, you know, somebody who's not that way, they, they don't, that's nothing, we, nothing that's fun to pull. You'd rather somebody just kind of come along because they love you and they trust you and there's been some relationship there, right? But eventually, if you're responsible for something, sometimes you just got to say, listen, I'm the boss. You've worked in places like that. You know, you've, had, you've been in companies like that, you know, that the guy just says, listen, no, I am the boss here. I, I write your check. You can do what I want or you can get out. What he would rather do is just say, good job, appreciate you, you know, <laughs> and have somebody just come along. Paul's going to pull the card because now he, he just has to. He doesn't want to. He has to. Because he's concerned about the relationship with Christ. It's not because of his ego. It's because of he's concerned about the condition of this church. That's why preachers do what they do today. Yeah. Sometimes people ask me about certain preachers to listen to on the radio. Sometimes I've, there was uh, something get mentioned. Sometimes I'm like, uh, I don't want to tell you, no, don't go listen to that person. I mean, come on. I mean... You should be spiritually mature enough in Christ to, to some red flags should go off. But listen, we can still be deceived. And I may say, eh, tell me what you think of them. I'm not, some I'd say no. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I hear about people talking about certain online preachers. And sometimes a godly jealousy starts coming up. Because you're going, oh, they're not good. They start saying, oh, I love Stephen Anderson. Mm. Really? This is recorded, right? Yeah, he's a heretic. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Believes Jesus literally went to hell? That's a problem. Yeah. There's, I, I could spend a lot of time. Andy Stanley? Andy Stanley? What a mess. People say, oh, I love Andy Stanley. My insides are going, oh. Why don't you like him? Because he's a false teacher. Yeah. He says the authenticity of, 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 of Christianity doesn't hang on the veracity of the Bible. What? How do you? Yeah. <laughs> Mike is like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, what he's saying is all of his, all, all of his uh, proof of Christianity is extra biblical, which makes no sense at all. People say, oh, I really like Paul Washer. Yeah. He's a Calvinist that totally destroys the simplicity of Christ. Powerful preacher, great pulpiteer. I mean, just compelling. And, and sometimes, I mean, listen, there's, there's truth that he says, absolutely. But people say, boy, I like that. I'm going, ooh. Yeah. Beth Moore, <laughs> she's another one getting real popular. 
We were just talking about that the other day, weren't we? Somebody asked, somebody asked an individual, I'm not that real keen on, I wouldn't really tell anybody to go listen to him, but they asked this, it was John MacArthur, they asked John MacArthur about Beth Moore, and she, he said, go home. <laughs> it's like, wow. I got to say, he was right. I mean, she's, she's up preaching in front of men and women in churches, and oh, it's a mess. They talk about people with this just adoration, you know, and you find out this little jealousy stirring up. Right? Yeah. It's a godly jealousy. It is. Because these people lead people away from truth. They lead them away from their church. Listen, you, God intended that you had one head in your life and one under one shepherd and one under shepherd there's no such thing as a two-headed church it's unscriptural you need to be a member it's if you uh, i mean the the bible says we're all members in particular we're all members of, of calvary crimson avenue baptist church right this is one body right and if you're a member of this church you're an appendage of this body you can't be an appendage of two churches we wouldn't mind it for some to be appendages of two churches, but you can't. Yeah, it's like your foot's going to live on two bodies. You can't do it. No. Yeah. See, the question isn't about being saved or unsaved. Paul's not dealing with their salvation. He's dealing with how they are going to arrive in heaven. Right when they're presented to their bridegroom, whether they're going to arrive there spiritually pure. That's his concern. That is a godly jealousy. And if I get cranky about somebody that you've elevated in your life, a certain preacher, right? There's a reason. Amen. There's a reason. Because we're all susceptible to deception. You know, it's going around really big. I didn't even realize this. I had a pastor friend of mine. They deal with it, you know, like, you know, our attendance is low in the evenings and this and that. And we have some other, you know, there's extenuated circumstances sometimes. But a lot of people, most churches are closing Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. Why? Because they're being taught all over the Internet. Well, all, it's about connecting, right? We've got to connect. Not, not assemble, but connect. And they're being taught that online service is connecting. And as long as you connect, that's great. Well, the Bible says nothing about connecting a bunch of liars. It talks about assembling. Amen. Assemble. Yeah. That's why I get cranky. Okay. Amen. Keep it. It's not, not at you. Oh. Well, it might be at you. <laughs> See, watch. It was a part of Paul's job to protect the flock. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying I like it all the time. It would be a lot easier if I didn't have to. But it's still my job to protect the flock. So, bear with me, would you? Right. Amen. Bear with me. When I get grouchy at people, I name pastors and name preachers and name things. There's a reason I'm naming them. Because we could all be deceived. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you another day. I about thought maybe I should tell you something. I'm not going to. Might be the wrong time. Because we'd definitely be here longer. So, Father, we thank you for this record here. Tonight of Apostle Paul's 
godly jealousy over this church. Lord, I pray we would all have a godly jealousy over those that you've put in our life, over those, Lord, that... uh, that we uh, have interactions with spiritually, especially in our homes. But Lord, would you just help those pastors that are pastoring your churches to have a godly jealousy again, to protect the flock. And those that are under those pastors, Lord, may they have the, the heart and the just the wisdom to receive that and that they might see the heart that it comes from. Oh, I know there's been many out there over the years that have not had that heart and they've just led the flock in a really hard way for their own, for their own benefit. I'm not talking about them. So, Father, would you help us there? Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And... Uh, Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand tonight, invitation to open. I, I have no idea how the Lord has spoken to you tonight, but uh, whatever he's dealt with you in tonight, just respond to him, would you? Bless you for being out tonight and be careful going home. It's really slick.